following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. So next Sunday, just to give you a little bit of the the lay of the land here, uh, next Sunday what we'll do is get back into our series in Genesis. And uh, a lot of you around last year, we did this series called Origins um, for a few months around the middle of the year, and we went through Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So those early stories of uh, creation, uh, creation of humanity, uh, creation of the heavens and the earth, and the entrance of sin into the story. And uh, I felt like that was a really positive series, Um, at least I felt like it was, Uh, going back to some really familiar parts of the Bible for many of us, but seeing new things and making some new connections and maybe just getting a deeper perspective on what's happening there. So I thought that we would carry on and pick that up where we left off. And so next Sunday, we are going to get into Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to do the next stretch of Genesis. Uh, And that next section really goes through till chapter 11, and it's just those... um, the ramifications of, of sin as it ripples out and affects families and nations and communities and eventually the whole world with, with Noah's flood and just seeing that um, and the devastation that it causes, but also the hope that's there and these little hints of what God is doing and that he hangs in there with people and he just brings blessing out of uh, curses and uh, just acts in some surprising ways. So uh, it's going to be fun. So, so come on board for that. And if you get a chance over the next week, read some of those chapters from about Genesis 4 to Genesis 11. Uh, just kind of familiarize yourself with that. Some of them will be more or less familiar to you. There's all sorts in there, but that's what we'll dig into again next week. Now, so for this morning, though, as a one-off, what I thought I would do, I was down at Festival One yesterday, as I said, and I did a seminar down there, and I'm going to basically give you uh, a version of that seminar that I did down at Festival One yesterday, because I think it's, it's as relevant for us as it was for those people. So here's the, here's the seminar, and I just, this is just to warn you okay, about what's about to happen. All right? So this is the seminar that happened yesterday, um, which I thought went quite well. But uh, if you look at this photo more closely, you see this guy here, he was, he was pretty unimpressed with how it went, so he's, he's pretty disinterested. And then this guy here, if we get the next slide, he fell asleep. So uh, I'm just telling you that's, what you, that's what's about to happen. Okay, so either of those two reactions could happen in the next 30 minutes, and that's just going to be, we're just going to have to live with it, okay? So, let, all right, let me set the scene for this. Uh, the, the, whole, the whole theme of, yes, thank you, Tanya, before we dive in too far, the kids' bags. Yes, so uh, kids, if you would like a worship bag to keep you entertained over the next um, two hours while I'm speaking, uh, pop up your hand, and uh, these lovely people will pass one around to you. Okay, kids only, Catherine Savage. Uh, so the whole theme of, the, of Festival One down there this weekend is shalom. Anyone know what shalom means? Peace. Very good. Uh, and so they, that, that kind of comes, that's coming through in a range of ways over the weekend. The speakers are tapping into that theme a little bit. They've got this uh, shalom precinct down there where you go there and there's um, different things to do with uh, God's peace that you can interact with and engage with. So they are kind of peppering that theme right through the weekend, which is great. And so they asked me to do the seminar down there and something on the theme of shalom. So I wanted to take a passage of scripture that's somehow related to shalom, to peace, and kind of use that as a bit of a base. So I thought I'd be a bit cheeky. And what I did is I took the verse that I think says pretty much the opposite of shalom. Uh, the opposite of peace, and that was my seminar topic. 
So I'll read, I'll read the verse in a minute, but um, it, it really is quite jarring with the whole theme of peace because as many of you will know, peace is a very dominant theme in the Bible. It's a really important theme in Scripture. And you can, you can trace that theme right through the Old Testament and the New Testament. And God is certainly a God of peace. And this beautiful uh, theme of shalom unfolds, and it's like running your hand along a lovely smooth piece of wood as you trace it through the Bible. But as you run your hand along that piece of wood, there is one verse which is like a splinter sticking straight out of that piece of wood. And if you catch yourself on it, it's pretty painful. And that's the verse I thought we'd look at this morning, right? So this is going to be fun. The verse comes from the book of Matthew, and it is verse 34. Now, the problem with this verse is that it comes from the lips of Jesus, um, which means we've got to take it seriously. Uh, because, you know, maybe if it was back in Leviticus, or so, you know, maybe we, then we could just kind of write it off as just one of those Old Testament verses. We wouldn't really have to worry about it. Jesus came to replace all that, didn't he? I'm just being a bit facetious. But it's, you know, the verse is in red in my Bible. So we are actually going to have to take it seriously and deal with this like Jesus actually said these words. So here is what he said in Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's go home. What a great passage, hey? Anybody uh, have this as the uh, life verse that they've chosen? Anybody have this verse cross-stitched on their wall at home? Anybody got this as a bumper sticker? Anyone memorize this verse in Sunday school? No, you didn't. Have you, has anyone ever heard a sermon on this verse? I haven't. No, that's probably my bad. Um, but no, I mean, we just don't. It's a very obscure kind of verse. We don't hear it proclaimed much. We don't hear it read much. It's awkward. It sounds jarring. It doesn't sound like the kind of thing Jesus would say. It's very confusing. It's quite confronting. It seems very at odds with the whole theme of shalom and peace. Jesus actually says, I did not come to bring peace. Uh, and particularly, like you think of other verses like uh, in Luke 2, where the angels announce the birth of Jesus, and they say, glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Uh, Jesus comes to bring peace. He is the Prince of Peace. We know this, that He comes and part of the whole thing is, is that he's bringing God's peace to earth. And yet here he says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Uh, that's a tough verse. That is one of those verses that we kind of wish wasn't in the Bible. You know, we did a series a couple of years ago on verses I wish weren't in the Bible. I think this would qualify. This would be a good one for that series. It's a tough text. But I think as the people of God, we've got a responsibility. It's in the Bible. It's part of the inspired Word of God, so we've got to do something with it. We can't just ignore it. It means something, and it's God's Word to us. So let's have a look at it and see what we make of it. Uh, so the first thing to do, and really this is always the first thing to do with any part of the Bible you're ever reading, is to look at the context in which Jesus says these words. Look at the surrounding context. Look at, what, look at what's going on more broadly. And that starts to give you some clues as to why Jesus says this. So the broader context in Matthew chapter 10 is that Jesus is sending out his disciples. He's got his 12 disciples, and he gathers them to himself first, and he gives them these instructions, and then he sends them out. And he sends them out around all the little villages around Galilee, 
And he said, he's not going with them this time. He just sends them out and he says, I want you to proclaim this, this message that he has given them. And he gives them the power to uh, heal people and drive out demons and do these signs that, that uh, authenticate the message. And so he is commissioning them to go and be his ambassadors and take this message out. So this is a missional text. This is a text where the disciples are being sent out on mission on behalf of Jesus. And as you read that chapter, and you might want to read it at home later on, the whole thing, uh, the theme that comes through really strongly is Jesus is saying, as you go, you can expect to face opposition. That's a big theme. He's saying this is not going to be a walk in the park. Don't think that everyone that you talk to is going to throw up their hands and sing hallelujah and come forward for the altar call. That's not going to happen. A lot of people that you talk to, Jesus is saying, are going to reject this message out of hand. They're going to reject it, and they're going to reject you. And they're going to mistreat you, and they're going to be cruel, and they're going to be antagonistic, and you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted even by the authorities, by the Jewish authorities, even by the Roman authorities later on. So Jesus is really warning his disciples here of what is coming. He's giving them a reality check. You're going to go out into hostile territory, so be realistic about the effect that this message is going to have in the lives and in the communities that you are going out into. So maybe that starts to get you thinking about why then Jesus would have said this thing about not coming to bring peace, but a sword. And then as soon as he said those words, he then goes into a quote from the Old Testament, verse 25 and 26. And this is a quote from the Old Testament, but it's also quite a confronting sort of passage. Jesus says, For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, That one's probably not quite so surprising for some of you. Uh, A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And so it it sounds here like Jesus' intention is to bust up families and break up marriages. He's saying, this is why I've come. I mean, this is quite difficult stuff. Well, he's quoting here from a passage in the book of Micah. And I want to just go back and just look at this for a minute because that passage he's quoting from is quite important to understand what he's saying, why he's saying it, and the broader context here. Uh, If you want to, you can flick back to Micah chapter 7. Micah is a prophet who lived hundreds of years before Jesus, and he was prophesying to the nation of Israel at a time when most Israelites had become unfaithful to God. They'd wandered a long way from God's law and in relationship with God. They'd gone off after other gods and they involved themselves in a lot of unjust practices, a lot of corrupt practices. They were not treating each other well. And so Micah speaks into this, and he speaks the word of the Lord into this. And he says, I'll read it from you in the book of Micah, in chapter 7, uh, at the end of verse 4. Micah says, The day God visits you has come. The day your watchmen sound the alarm. Now is the time of your confusion. Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. And here's the part Jesus quotes in verse 6. For a son dishonors his father, a daughter rises up against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, a man's enemies are the members of his own household. So Micah is saying to Israel, there's a day that's coming. And that day is going to be the day of God's visitation. There is a day when God is going to come and visit his people. He is personally going to come and visit his people. And that day is going to be both good and bad. It's going to be positive and it's going to be not so positive. Because it will be a day, Micah says, of both salvation and judgment. For those who follow God and are faithful to Him and align themselves with Him, 
It's going to be a day of great salvation. But for those who reject God, for those who continue and persist in these stubborn and rebellious ways, it is going to be a day of judgment. And so it's both. Micah's message is both. And Jesus' message, I think, is both. Salvation and judgment. The gospel, I think, is both salvation and judgment. It's not that comfortable, maybe. But I think inevitably, that's where the message leads. That's where the story goes. Salvation and judgment. And so when Jesus picks up that quote, and he he uses it in the context of sending these disciples out, what he's saying to them is, you guys are going to go out into all these little fishing villages, and you're going to share this message with them. And you need to be aware that the message you are communicating is a message that contains within itself both salvation and judgment, just like in Micah's day. It's a gospel. It's good news. It's absolutely good news. But it is both salvation and judgment. For those who receive it, for those whose hearts are open to it, it is a message of salvation. It's a message of peace, of shalom. It's a message of reconciliation with God. It's a message of you can be a child of God. You can enter into God's kingdom. Forgiveness is here. God is here. Salvation is here. Blessing is here. That is good news. You can be reconciled with the God who made you. That's salvation. But Jesus also says, you need to be aware that as you go and preach this message, the other side of the message is judgment. And this is quite clear, even in the way Jesus talks about what's happening. He says, if you go and preach this to a a village, and that village rejects, that village rejects the message out of hand, Jesus says, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than it will be for that village. Now, that's harsh. Those are hard words. That's not the Jesus we like to hear. We kind of like gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and all those things. But he also says some pretty hard words at times, and this is one of them. And he's saying, for those who reject this message, whose hearts are hardened, who turn away, who who refuse to open their hearts to me and, and, and the message that I'm bringing, those people remain under the judgment of God. And, and this salvation is never given to them because they refuse it by their own choice. And so that's why Jesus says you've got to be aware that this is both salvation and judgment. And what that means is that this message creates a line in the sand. And people have got to choose which side of the line they're on. That's the nature of what's going on. Jesus says this message, because it's salvation and it's judgment, it's going to create a dividing line that runs right through Israel runs right through the human race, runs right through every family, runs right through every friendship, runs right through every group of people. And it's going to divide one from another because people have got to decide whether they accept this message of Jesus or whether they reject it. And Jesus is saying, you can get a family where a son rejects the message and a father accepts it. And the son turns on the father, turns against him and shuns him. You could get a family, Jesus is saying, where the mother opens her heart to this message, opens her heart to the gospel, but the daughter refuses and rejects and resists. And it turns the daughter against the mother. Jesus is saying, I want you to be aware of this. This is sometimes what can happen in families, in communities, in friendships, when the gospel goes forth. Now, I don't think Jesus is saying it is his intention to create those kinds of relational problems. He's not saying it's God's design to ever create friction in relationship, create turbulence, to create turmoil, to drive people apart. But he's saying, you need to understand, the very nature of the message is that it creates a line in the sand and it brings people to a point of decision. 
And that means you can end up, even within a family, one person on that side of the line, one person on this side of the line, and that can create difficulties. And when you think about it, Jesus himself experienced this in his own family. You know, there's a scene in the Gospels when Jesus is teaching and he's healing people and he's going about his ministry. And his mother and his brothers come along and they try to take him away because they don't believe what he's saying and they think that he's completely lost his marbles. They think that he's, that he's come off his rocker and has gone mad and they are trying to extract him from the situation. I was talking about this yesterday and a woman came up afterwards and she said, you know, how could, how could Mary not have known? How could, she have, how could she not have known? You know, mothers know things about their children. How could she not have known that he was the son of God? Surely if anyone, and, and, and I said, well, yeah, I mean, you, you can only assume at that point Mary was doing what she thought was best for her boy. She thought at that stage that he had serious mental health issues and she was coming to take him away. She was coming to try and take him to a place of peace and get him out of what she thought was a hostile situation and try and rescue him. She was trying to act in his best interests. But we see now that was misguided. And Jesus at the time, he made a very pointed statement. I don't know whether you remember it. But he turns to his disciples. He's got his disciples here and he's got his biological family here. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? Are they not those who do the will of God? Now, imagine hearing that as Jesus' mum. Imagine what his brothers thought at that point. I mean, he's basically saying, my spiritual family is ultimately more important than my biological family. There's a whole message in there, by the way, on the church and the importance of spiritual family. It's actually the closest ties and, and binds that we should have. But Jesus is saying our spiritual family is that much more important, even more so than our biological family. So this, you can, you can pretty much assume that created some relational tension in Jesus' family. That Jesus' family was not always this happy family where everyone always got along. Clearly, they were concerned. They had real questions about what planet Jesus was from. Uh, and they were really unsure about whether he was heading in the right direction at all. So there's problems in Jesus' family, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, when you proclaim this message, you're going to face exactly the same thing. It's not only that people are going to mistreat you, they're going to mistreat each other. They're going to turn against each other because one will accept the message and one will reject it. And so you need to be aware. Don't be naive, Jesus is saying. Don't be naive about the impact that the gospel can have in lives and families when it goes forth. So all of that, with all of that context, let's now come back to this tricky little verse. In verse 34, and uh, look at this more head on. I think with that broader context in mind, hopefully now the verse makes a bit more sense. Jesus says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, first of all, think about this image of the sword. Think about how a sword is used in the Bible. Often the sword is used as a metaphor of judgment. It's used as a metaphor of God's judgment. Think about the passage in Revelation. Revelation 19, where Jesus comes as the rider on the white horse and he has a sword coming out of his mouth. And it's a sword of judgment. It's a sword with which to strike down the nations. Jesus is coming back as the judge, the one who is uh, going to judge the world, who will judge the earth. That's his role. I don't know whether you think about Jesus much as a judge. We kind of think about Jesus as the baby, we think about him as the good shepherd, we think about him as our saviour, our lord, our king, our priest. Do you think about him much as a judge? That's a really important part of his role. 
Uh, even in his first coming, his incarnation, he came as a judge. He came on behalf of God to judge the world, judge the world and convict the world of, of sin and righteousness. So Jesus says he is coming with the sword of judgment. And that is part of his role, to apply the judgment of God. Think about a verse uh, like Hebrews 4.12, which talks about the word of God, the Bible, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates to dividing soul and spirit and joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the Bible judges us. The Bible's like a sword, as you read the, read the Bible. It exposes the sin in our lives exposes our sinful ways, our sinful thoughts, our sinful ideas, our sinful habits. And so in the same kind of way, Jesus is saying, I've come. Part of the reason I've come is to bring about judgment. It's to bring about the judgment of God and ultimately rid the world of sin and evil and the curse. So why then does Jesus say he hasn't come to bring peace? I think that's, the, that's perhaps the trickiest part. It would be one thing for Jesus to talk about judging and bringing the sword and these kinds of things. But why does he have to go and say, I have not come to bring peace? He just seems to put it so emphatically. Well, I think here's my take on this, and, and you might have a different perspective. But I think when Jesus says, I have not come to bring peace, I don't think he's talking in that verse about true shalom. I think he's talking about a kind of false peace. Now, it is the same word, yes, it's the same Greek word that's translated peace in other places. But I think given the context, I don't think Jesus in that particular verse is talking about true peace. I think what he's saying is, I have not come to bring about a false peace. I've not come to bring about a fake peace. I think he's talking a bit like uh, the way Jeremiah talked. There's a passage in the book of Jeremiah where he says, you've got all these priests running around, and they're just saying, peace, peace, peace to everybody when there is no peace. And it's this false peace. It's a superficial peace. And these priests are saying, oh, no, 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 you're fine. You just live however you want to live. You believe whatever you want to believe. You conduct yourself however you want to conduct yourself. You're part of the chosen people, so you're good. There's peace. Peace upon you. You're all good. Don't worry. Don't worry about really being faithful to God or turning your heart towards God. You just carry on offering a few sacrifices in the temple and you'll be fine. Peace, peace. But there was no peace. And God's people eventually were judged and taken into exile. And I think Jesus is saying the same. He's saying, don't think that I've come to bring this empty kind of peace. He's saying, don't, don't think that I've come to bring this hollow, shallow, superficial kind of peace. It's, it's not that. It's not, it, it's not this fluffy, woolly, emotional feeling of peace that Jesus came to bring. It's not just a generic peace that gets poured out upon every person regardless of where they stand with Jesus. It's, it's not even the Miss Universe world peace kind of peace. It's a, it's a different kind of peace. It's the true shalom of God. And, and ironically enough, the shalom of God is quite disruptive. It's quite confronting. And it turns things upside down. The first will be last and the last will be first. The shalom of God draws a line in the sand because it represents both salvation and judgment. And it is both. And it brings you to a point of decision. And for those who receive, it's salvation. But for those who reject, it's judgment. You can see this even in the way Jesus sends the disciples out. He says, go out and uh, knock on the doors of these homes. And when people open the door, you give them your greeting. And he says, if they are deserving, in other words, if they accept the message you're bringing, let your peace rest upon them. So clearly, Jesus is all for peace. The disciples are offering peace. 
But he says, if they are not deserving, in other words, if they reject the message, not about whether they're good or bad people, but if they reject the message, then he says, let your peace return to you. It's interesting, isn't it? So the shalom of God is removed from that home, from that family. Not everybody, ultimately, is under the shalom of God. It is those who open their hearts and lives to Jesus, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace. And so for those who accept, it is peace, it is blessing, it is righteousness, it is salvation. For those who reject, they remain under the sword of God's judgment. I know that's not the part of the gospel we like to talk about. It's not the nice part. It's not the pleasant part. But I think that's the part that Jesus is emphasizing in this verse. That's why it's so hard to understand. That's why it's so jarring to our ears. But it relies on us having that conviction. The gospel is both salvation and its judgment and the judgment side that Jesus is focusing on here. He's saying, I've not come just to bring a false peace. Don't be naive about it. I've come to bring the true shalom of God, which brings people to a point of decision as to where they stand with me. For those who receive, it is salvation. For those who reject, it is judgment. That's the true nature of shalom. So I think it should give us a deeper view of what shalom is. Hopefully this text, even though it's really tricky, it rescues us from a certain naivety about shalom and peace, where we just go around saying, peace, peace. Everybody's receiving the peace of God. Well, even the angels didn't promise that. When they appeared to the shepherds, they said, glory to God and peace on earth to those on whom God's favor rests. To those who are moving towards Jesus, it is peace, it is blessing. But there is always the judgment side of the gospel and we simply can't avoid it. So what does it mean for us today? How does this verse speak into our lives? I think it is just as relevant to us today as it was back in Jesus' day. And particularly thinking about the way the gospel lands in people's lives and the impact and the repercussions it has. You know, Jesus is is telling his disciples, be aware that as you share this message with people, they may receive it. But for them, that may cause real problems. And it may cause real problems within their families. And that can still happen today. We can preach the gospel. People can come to Christ. They can come to faith in Christ. But that can create great difficulties for people back in their family environments. Now, people like me can be oblivious to that. Because I've grown up in a Christian family, grown up in a church community. It was a very natural thing for me to come to faith. And when I did, it was something that was very accepted by my family. It was a good thing. Christian parents, they they were all for it. It was a church community. Generally, it was fine. It didn't have any social repercussions at all. But that is not the case for everybody, is it? And even some of you in the room, you may have experienced quite a different scenario when you came to faith. We've got a friend at Shaw who's Indonesian. And uh, she became a Christian many years ago now. And when she came to faith in Christ, it created huge problems between her and her parents. They could not come to terms with that decision that she'd made. And there was a time there where they really shunned her and really distanced themselves from her. And it was very, very difficult. I think that lasted a long time. And I think it's better now. Gradually, they've, they've more and more come to terms with that decision that she's made. And the relationship has, has been repaired and restored. But it was very, very difficult. It was a huge cost for her and coming to faith in Christ. And I think part of the lesson for us is don't be naive to the cost that it is for non-Christians who become Christians within non-Christian families. It can be really tough. It can be really hard. I was talking to someone from Shaw just yesterday. She was saying, man, when I became a Christian, I lost friends. Lost some friends who just could not come to terms with that decision that I'd made. It cost me some friendships. People are really having to count the cost. And we've got to be careful We're absolutely commissioned to share the gospel, and we should, and we must. And it should never stop people coming to faith. 
But I think Jesus wants us also to be realistic about the real cost and the real repercussions that there is for people within these families. And when we're talking with people in that sort of situation, and there's, real, there's going to be real consequences for them, maybe in a marriage relationship, maybe within their family, maybe within their friendship circle, we've got to be sensitive to that. We can't just be cavalier and say, well, come on, you know, just get on with it. Haven't you made the decision yet? Yes, we should encourage people to become Christians, but let's also journey with them and understand the real cost that they're having to make. Let's do them the decency of loving them through that, walking alongside them through that, praying for them through that. Let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who have become Christian in very hostile contexts around the world where they count the cost every day for their faith in Jesus Christ in ways that we can't even imagine. Let's pray for that. Let's respect that. Let's be aware of that. And let's commit to really journeying with people through the hard road that it can be of coming to faith in a difficult and a hostile environment. So it's a tough verse, all right, that one. It's among the harder teachings of Jesus, I think one of the hardest sayings. But I think if we let it work on us, this verse should give us an even deeper appreciation for what shalom really is and what it isn't. I think that's the effect that this should have, is that it should do away with these kind of shallow ideas of peace and naive ideas about peace, that it's just, it's just a feeling, it's just general world peace that gets handed out. It should lead us to realize shalom is serious business. It's incredible joy, it's great salvation, but it also draws a line in the sand. It's never, ever God's intention to divide people one from another. But Jesus wants us to be realistic about the implications the gospel can have in lives and families and marriages and friendships and so on. So it should give us some sensitivity to that and the way that we share the gospel with love, with grace, still passionately evangelistic, still intentional, still purposeful about that, but always sensitive to the stories and the lives and the relationships of the people that we're talking to. It should give us some sensitivity in the way we proclaim the gospel. And it should, I think, make those of us that have received God's peace even more grateful for this amazing gift that we've been given, that at some point we, by God's grace, opened our hearts to it, and in spite of ourselves, he saved us. In spite of our stubbornness, in spite of our rebellion, he saved us. He brought us from death to life. He brought us from being lost to being found. He's poured out his mercies upon us. He's given this amazing gift of peace to us. Shouldn't it make us even more grateful for that gift of shalom, being reconciled to God? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your peace. We thank you for the fullness and the bigness of what shalom really is and your peace that has found its way into our lives. Lord Jesus, I want to lift up to you this morning anyone who is here, anyone who's listening to this message who is in a tough context because they've come to know you and they've experienced this amazing peace, but things are not peaceful in their family and things are not peaceful in their home and things aren't peaceful between friends now. And that's hard. And Father, I want to pray your particular blessing upon those people this morning those ones that are working out their salvation in relationships where people are really opposed to them being Christians and maybe really trying to undermine that decision and take it away from them. Father, I pray you'd give them strength. I pray now you'd pour out upon them the blessings of heaven and give them the strength of your Holy Spirit to persevere in the decision they've made. Lord, for those that are thinking about making that decision and wondering about opening their hearts to you, but they're worried. They're worried about what it's going to mean for their marriage. 
They're worried about what it's going to mean for their family, even their kids, or, or a particular friendship. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would visit them this morning by your grace. I pray that you just place your arms around them in gentleness and kindness and say to them, hey, follow me. I will walk with you through this. I am your Lord. I am your Savior. We will walk through this together. We will move through this together. I will be with you every step of the way. Would you give them courage? Would you give them an open heart? Would you give them a willingness to take that step even though it comes at great cost? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you counted the cost when you came and rescued us. You purchased our lives at an incredible price. And now you ask us to be willing to count the cost. So we share our faith and work out our faith around people who may not love you and follow you and serve you. Give us grace. Give us patience. Give us courage. Give us your love. Empower us by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.